Killer Astrology, the podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and today I'll be discussing the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. This is a pretty well-known case with a lot of twists, turns, and literal explosions. The main events in the story span the course of three years, but it's been almost 11 years since Susan went missing, and there are still so many questions, including the whereabouts of her body. One thing we can be pretty certain of is that Susan's husband, Josh Powell, is to blame for her disappearance. We'll go over the facts of the story, and then of course we'll get into the astrology, at which time we'll explore some of my theories around what happened to Susan. On that note, let's get started. Susan was born Susan Marie Cox in 1981 in New Mexico, and was a happy child with a bright personality and an appreciation for all of the beautiful things in the world. She was one of three children growing up in a loving household, and her family moved to Puyallup, Washington when she was 10 years old. She spent the rest of her childhood and young adult years there, and it was in Puyallup that she met Josh Powell, a quiet young man about five years older than her. Although their personalities were starkly different, the two fell in love and got married just three months after the start of their relationship. Their wedding took place in Oregon on April 6, 2001, when Josh was 25 and Susan was just 19 years old. After they got married, Susan and Josh moved in with Josh's dad near Seattle. Now, it's a challenge for most people to live with their in-laws, but sharing a space with Josh's dad, Stephen, was hard on a whole different, really cringy level. We don't have time to get too deep into the details, but a while after Susan went missing, police stumbled upon diaries, tapes, and video journals that provided clear evidence that Stephen was romantically and sexually attracted to Susan. And he had been pretty vocal about it to her in front of her husband, so Josh was well aware that this was going on, and he did nothing to stop it. It was partly because of this mess that Susan and Josh moved away to West Valley City, Utah, where they raised their two boys, Brayden and Charles. Susan was completely in love with her boys. She worked a nine-to-five job in finance, but was totally devoted to her kids and always attentive to their needs. That's precisely why everyone was so immediately worried when on December 7, 2009, Susan's children didn't show up to school. When the school noticed that Brayden and Charles hadn't come in, they called the kids' emergency contact, Susan's sister, and she called Susan and Josh multiple times only to get sent to voicemail over and over and over again. Because they couldn't get in touch, family members called the police and reported the entire family missing. In so many missing persons cases, concerned callers are told to wait 24 or even 48 hours before officially making a report. Thankfully, that didn't happen here. It might have been because the whole family was reported missing at the same time, but I have another theory that I'll get to a little bit later. Police wound up going to the family's house almost immediately after the report was made and actually got themselves inside to find no one there and a pretty strange scene. When police arrived, there were two box fans in the living room on the floor facing a wet couch. Susan's purse was upstairs in the bedroom with all of her belongings still inside, and there was a radio on in the house. Throughout the day, Susan's friends and family continued calling her nonstop, and they were also calling Josh. Neither of them answered until a neighbor switched things up and got her son to give Josh a call, and he picked up. When he heard that his wife was nowhere to be found, he said, quote, Oh, I'm sure she went to work. She must have gone to work. 
It was during that phone call, though, that Josh learned that his wife, in fact, had not gone to work. The few people that talked to Josh that day learned that the couple's two kids were with him, but Susan was not. So what was Josh doing with his two little kids out all night and all morning? Well, when police questioned Josh about the events leading up to Susan's disappearance, he said that between 12 o'clock and 1.30 a.m. on the morning of December 7th, he decided to take his two kids on a spontaneous camping trip at Simpson Springs. Susan decided not to come, and when he came back in the morning, Susan was gone. For some reference, Simpson Springs is about an hour and 45-minute drive from West Valley City, where the family lived. So if they left at 1.30 in the morning, they wouldn't have gotten to the site until after 3 o'clock. What on earth are two little kids going to do outside in the woods at 3 o'clock a.m.? What makes the story even harder to believe is that on this particular night, it had been snowing. Why would a father take his two kids on a camping trip almost two hours from home, leaving after midnight, during a snowstorm, only to come back the next day? From this point forward, the evidence against Josh just keeps mounting. Let's lay it out. First of all, on the day that Susan went missing, everyone was trying to call Josh including a detective who was assigned to the case. At some point, Josh was asked why he hadn't been answering his phone, and he said that it had died. But when detectives later looked inside the minivan that he had been driving, they found a phone charger plugged into the front of the car, laying there in plain sight. Later, they also found Susan's phone in the bottom of the console. So if Susan hadn't been with him on that camping trip, why was her phone in the car? And why was it separated from all of the other personal items that were in her purse, which had been found with her wallet and other belongings in the bedroom of their house? Cell phones also led to some other clues about what had happened that day. When police checked Josh's phone records, they learned some important information. His cell phone had pinged near his home in West Valley City on December 7th sometime in the morning around when Susan had gone missing. After that first ping, he turned around and drove back towards the direction of the campsite that he had supposedly stayed at with his kids. And from about 20 minutes away from home, he turned around again and called Susan to say that he was coming back and would be picking her up from work that day. But at that point, Josh had already known that Susan didn't show up to work because someone had told him over the phone that morning. Honestly, this information is really all that I need in order to be 100% sure that Josh was responsible for Susan's disappearance and likely death. But if you're still not convinced, let me lay out some other facts for you. Number one, shortly after Susan disappeared, the police put a GPS tracker on Josh's car, figuring that he might drive back to wherever he had left Susan or her body. But Josh didn't fall for that. Instead, he rented a car, and left for two days, and by the time that he returned, the car had 800 more miles on it. So did he use that car to go out and move Susan's body, knowing that the police were on his trail? Number two, there was a compartment under the floor of Josh's minivan that police opened to find a garbage bag filled with charred sheetrock. This is literally the most sketch thing I've ever heard. Who in the world has a secret compartment in the floor of their minivan? And who fills that compartment with an old bag of junk? It just doesn't make any sense unless that bag was somehow tied to Susan's disappearance. Number three. This takes us back to that wet couch that police found in the Powell's house the day that Susan went missing. 
When they first asked Josh about why the couch was wet, he said that Susan had asked him to clean it, and so he did. But later, police tested that couch and found multiple spots of Susan's blood on the fabric. A Utah news outlet, KUTV, did a timeline of Susan's disappearance, and in it they mention a claim from Josh that before he and the kids left to go camping, he saw Susan cleaning a red stain off their carpet. Was this Josh's way of trying to explain any bloodstains that the police might have found on the floor or on the couch? Number four. This is probably the most disturbing, but also the most telling piece of all of this evidence. While Josh was talking to investigators about his wife's disappearance, his son Charlie was also being interviewed by a detective. In that interview, Charlie said that the family had indeed gone camping, which he defined as having a house in the woods. Dissimilar to Josh's story, Charlie said that his mother had been on that trip with them, but that she hadn't come back. When the detective asked where Susan was, Charlie said, quote, My mom stayed where the crystals are, end quote. He also mentioned later on in that interview that he's a really good secret keeper. Later on, when the kids were in school, one of them had an assignment to draw what they did over the summer. According to an interview with the family's attorney that CNN did in 2012, that picture showed an image of the family driving on a camping trip in a minivan with Susan in the trunk. I don't know for sure, but it's very possible that Charlie's statement about crystals was a reason that the police eventually started looking for Susan in abandoned mine shafts out west. But unfortunately, to this day, her body is still yet to be found. We'll certainly never know exactly what happened on December 7th, 2009, but Susan herself further incriminates Josh in an unexpected unearthing of evidence that was found long after she went missing. We will certainly never know exactly what happened on December 7th, 2009, but Susan herself further incriminates Josh in unexpected evidence that was unearthed long after she went missing. In the months leading up to Susan's disappearance, she had told some friends that Josh had become very abusive, both financially and emotionally, and some of the things that he did were truly appalling. Susan made all the money in the family because Josh couldn't hold a job by this point, but she didn't keep any of her paychecks. He took all of her money and then gave her a tiny allowance. On top of that, he sold one of the two family cars, saying that they couldn't afford to keep both. So Susan had to bike to work for four years straight. While Susan had talked to a few people about what was going on during this time, the evidence against Josh didn't surface until later. Police found a video that Susan had taken where she walked around her home and inventoried all of her assets in case something happened to her. It was also discovered that Susan had a handwritten will in a safe deposit box at a bank that nobody knew about. In that will, she said to her kids, I would never leave you on my own accord. Unfortunately, none of this really compelling evidence was found until it was much too late. Anything that the police had learned when the investigation first started was circumstantial, and Josh was never charged. He did lose custody of his kids for a while, but was granted visitation rights by a judge. One day in early 2012, Josh's kids were scheduled to come over for a visit, accompanied by a social worker. The social worker walked the kids to the door, 
and Josh let them in, but slammed the door before she could walk through. She called police immediately, fearing for the children's lives, and she was right to be afraid. She couldn't have known that Josh had called one of his sisters just before the meeting and left a voicemail that said, among other things, I'm calling to say goodbye. Just moments after the kids arrived, Josh's home erupted in flames and his two young sons were dead. For Josh, the story and investigation ended here. But for Susan's family and friends, the grief was just compounded. To say that moving on from grief like this would be hard is a complete understatement. But in response to their losses of their daughter and their grandkids, the Cox family created a foundation, the Susan Cox Powell Foundation, that has resources for victims of domestic violence and also for families that are missing their loved ones. I'll put a link to the foundation's website in my blog so that you can check it out after the episode ends. There will also be a number of other sources in there that I used to create this episode. If you're interested in learning more about this case, I highly suggest that you check them out. There is a whole lot of information that I didn't get to talk about today, including information about what happened to Josh's dad. I'll let you look at all that on your own. For now, we're going to switch gears and talk about the astrology of this case. I looked into the birth charts for both Susan and Josh to better understand their personalities and to see what transiting planets were doing for each of them on the date of Susan's disappearance. I also looked at their general synastry to better understand the effects they had on each other. There is a whole lot we could cover on the astrology front here, so to keep things contained, I'm going to split this into a couple of parts. First, I'll talk about Susan's birth chart, then about her transits on the date she disappeared. Then I'll talk about Josh's birth chart, how he affected Susan based on their synastry, and what was happening for him on the day that she disappeared. Susan Cox Powell was born on October 16, 1981, in Alamo Gordo, New Mexico. She's a Libra sun with a very tight Libra stellium, which includes Saturn, Jupiter, her sun, Pluto, and Mercury, in that order. When I looked at Susan's chart, I immediately made a connection to a very recent time in history. Do you remember January of this year, 2020, when the whole world started to change? Coronavirus happened in China, made its way around the world, and then blew up. The world of politics exploded, with threats of World War III being thrown around in the media. And more recently, dirt has come out on celebrities we used to idolize, like Ellen DeGeneres, who is now basically canceled in Hollywood. It's been a whole lot of upheaval this year, and that is directly related to Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto all sharing the later degrees of Capricorn. Children who are being born in this time, especially if they were born in January, are going to embody some of that chaotic nature in themselves. That's because they will all share a tight conjunction between Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. That's the same kind of conjunction that Susan had, except hers was in Libra, the sign that's all about connecting to other people. So for her, this chaotic nature comes out in her relationships. Saturn and Pluto really close together mean issues of control, and she found that with Josh, who became very abusive as their relationship went on, trying to exert control over all aspects of her life. On the day that Susan went missing, there were some pretty significant transits happening to her natal chart. First, Uranus was exactly trying her natal Uranus, 
amplifying that planet's energy and causing quick and explosive life changes. She also had Jupiter and Chiron exactly trying her natal Jupiter, which activated her entire Libra stellium and brought her wounds to light. Finally, Neptune was within one degree of an exact trine to Pluto, adding a bit of allusion to the planet of death. Because of that allusion, it's this aspect in particular that's associated with her becoming a missing person. There's one more really important element of this aspect. At the time of Susan's disappearance, Neptune was transiting trine to the midpoint between her natal Neptune and her natal Mars. I'm going to share what this means after we discuss Josh's chart, because I think it says a lot about how Susan died. Josh Powell was born on January 20th, 1976 in Spokane, Washington. He had a Capricorn sun, which was exactly opposite a retrograde Saturn in Cancer. Both of these planets are in 29 degrees of their respective signs, which is a critical point in the birth chart. You can think of any planet in the 29th degree as someone who's about to hand in their master's thesis and confer their degree. It's the energy of anticipating completion, where there's a fair amount of anxiety that has built up over time. Some people do really well in that type of pressured situation, and some don't. Josh was the latter. With his Sun-Saturn opposition in 29 degrees, his thesis was on mastering when to follow rules and when to break them. Obviously, he failed. Another element of his chart that made his relationships more complicated was this opposition between Mars and Neptune, with Mars also making a wide opposition to Venus. This is a strange tension between the personal drive, warrior spirit, self-assertion energy of Mars, and the boundaryless nature of Neptune, as well as the stability-seeking, loving nature of Venus. It was really hard for him to integrate those energies, to integrate what he wanted with what was best for other people. This was hard for him all around, and it certainly impacted his relationship with Susan, because when I looked at their charts together, I noticed that his Mars was opposite her Neptune as well. There were a couple of other important conjunctions that I also noticed in the Sinistry charts. First, Josh's Saturn was on top of Susan's North Node, potentially creating a recurring situation where she felt that he was restricting her personal growth. His Pluto was also conjunct her Saturn in an applying aspect, indicating that it could only be a matter of time before his dark side was exposed to her. In this case, I think his dark side was literally the ability to kill, with Saturn representing her body. So I'm going to give you my perspective on what Josh did to Susan. Earlier, I mentioned that transiting Neptune was making a trine to the midpoint between Susan's natal Mars and natal Neptune. That midpoint can represent poisoning, and the fact that it happens to fall almost exactly on Susan's Pluto indicates that being poisoned would kill her. In my research on this case, I came across the theory that Susan had been poisoned by Josh, because there's accounts that shortly after eating breakfast on December 6th, a breakfast that he made for her, A friend said that Susan wasn't feeling well and she went to lie down. Susan had also written in a journal of hers leading up to her disappearance that she had felt nauseous for at least a week. Is this a coincidence? My bet is no. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Susan's body has still not been found. There have been multiple theories that she was placed in a mine shaft, and that theory makes sense to me. But I believe that her body was burned for reasons astrological and otherwise. 
When you look at the synastry chart for Josh and Susan, you see that his natal Mars is exactly trying her Saturn. Saturn is the planet that represents the body, and Mars represents fire. If we're taking another literal interpretation, we could say that Josh burned Susan's body. I also think this fits the evidence, given that there was charred plaster and metal hidden in the floor of Josh's car shortly after Susan disappeared. My theory is that Josh and the kids traveled far away to a remote area where he could dispose of the body completely. Mercury and Pluto were exactly conjunct on December 7, 2009, which again, taking a literal interpretation, could mean that they took a domestic journey towards death. These are my interpretations based on the astrology that I examined for both Susan and Josh and the stories I heard through my research. Honestly, this story makes me really sad and I feel deeply for Susan's family. I truly hope that one day soon they can get the closure they deserve. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Astrology. You can find the sources I used for this episode, including a link to the Susan Cox Powell Foundation, in my blog on KillerAstrologyPodcast.com. I'll be back next week with a story that you won't want to miss. Until then, remember, people may lie, but the stars never do. If you liked what you heard today, please share this podcast with your friends and consider leaving a five-star rating. You can follow the podcast on social media using the information in the episode description. You can visit my website, KillerAstrologyPodcast.com, for reference information for each episode and more.